Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you all. If you're one of the students here that have been trying to get a degree for 12 years, that makes two of us. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm so grateful to be here today. Uh, we rest in the sovereignty of God, of course, uh, and we never doubt his love and goodness, but uh, the sovereignty of God is also one of those things that you cannot use to excuse lack of compassion. So our prayers are with the families of the victims in, in, in Las Vegas and the families in Puerto Rico and the islands and, and all that goes around the world. Uh, uh, may God continue to advance the gospel and may our king come soon. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. I thank Dr. Aiken and Dr. Miguel Echevarria for the invitation. It's an honor and a great responsibility that I take seriously. Uh, well to me, if I say, thus says the Lord, and thus does not say the Lord. So let us pray. Padre bueno y santo, Father, open our eyes through the power of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. May your word make our sufficiency bleed to death. May we cleanse to you and you only each and every day for your glory and for our good until the day you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk to you out of the book of Psalms, out of chapter 51. The theme in the text there is repentance. It is how Jesus starts his first sermon in Matthew's 4.17, repent. It is how Peter concludes the first sermon proclaimed after Jesus ascends in Acts 2.38, repent. And it is unfortunate that confession and repentance are so absent from the church today. So many of God's people live as if we don't sin almost at all. So many pretend or portray to be sinless. Uh, superficial lives of fake smiles of how you doing, I'm doing just fine. And uh, people around us have no idea what repentance is because they've never seen it in you. And we're so hard to open up about our struggles that no wonder our neighbors think that Christians are so unapproachable. It's like if we live in some sort of a realm of moral superiority, as if Christianity was to feel better than your brethren and your neighbor. And part of the reason that, in my opinion, we lack a revival in our homes, part of the reason we don't have amazing times of prayer and worship in our rooms with our kids is because we're missing confession and repentance that leads us to God. So in Psalm 51, David had done a great deal of sinning. It's one of the few Psalms, actually, that we get a very clear context as to, as, as to when it happened and why it happened and why it was there. And I want us to look at that psalm today, but right off the bat, let me, let me say something to you. As you know, the king before David was King Saul. 
And King Saul and King David were not different because Saul sinned and David didn't. No. They both did a great deal of sinning. Saul and David were different because David knew to live a life of repentance and Saul didn't. A life humbled before a holy God. And there are really only two groups of people. Those who live a life of repentance and those who don't. You're either following in the steps of David in repentance or in the steps of Saul in rebellion. And my first point today as we look at verse 1 is that David is helpless and he turns to his only hope. Verse 1 of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. When you think, well, repentance is only for the guilty, you have forgotten that you too are guilty, that we are all guilty. For David, he had committed sexual sins. He slept with another man's wife. He, had, he was the mastermind behind a murder, as you know. And he had lied about the whole thing later. And now he's openly admitting guilt and he's def- desperate for forgiveness and, and restoration. And the Bible does not hide any of this because hidden sin kills the soul. And the modern church has forgotten that. And I know confession is not good for your reputation, but oh, it's so good for our souls. And it's silly how people don't come out in the open with all their filth so that there can be real forgiveness and and true restoration and true correction through God's word. Repentance is a lifestyle of living hanging on the mercies of Jesus. If you feel like you don't need to repent, then you don't know God at all. So we know David is a believer because he knows he needs to repent. Number two, he prays for the cleansing of his sins, verses 2 and seven. So, so he, he turns to mercy first, namely God, and once there, he asks God for the cleansing of his sins. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a branch that was used by the priest dabbed or dipped in blood. Because as you know, the penalty of sin is death, and the priest represented the people before God. And so they would take a lamb that was clean and sacrifice it as a substitute for their sins. And and so the priest would dip the hyssop branch in the blood of the lamb so that through that sacrifice, he would declare the people forgiven. So this sacrificial system hinted to David that his forgiveness would, would cause God personally. It's amazing to see David asking God, the very God, these things. It points to the fact that only Christ's innocent blood could ultimately erase our guilt. It points to the fact that only Christ's perfect record of righteousness can substitute for our iniquities once and for all. And only Christ's spirit can regenerate the will. So David is saying, God, no human priest can help me. I am guilty. 
and only you, God, by your almighty power, if you so wish, can make me clean. I beg you, if you, God, don't, don't become my priest and dab the blood of me and declare me clean by your mercy, I am lost. I am done. Repentance. And it is appropriate. It is necessary that Christians ask forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And perhaps you say, but pastor, didn't Jesus forgive us of all of our sins already? Doesn't he say two verses right there in 1 John, right before that, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins, past, present, and future? Why ask for forgiveness then? Well, yes, it says that, but that does not replace our asking. Beloved, the cross is not the reason we don't ask. The cross Christ took on our behalf is the very reason and the only reason why when we ask for forgiveness, the answer will be yes. So we ask for forgiveness. Number three, David takes his sin very seriously. We see it in a couple of ways. David camps here. He is repetitive about acknowledging his sin. Oh, how we love to be repetitive in grace, but not on truth. It is both grace and truth that delivers us. How different is that from, from us, right? Someone calls out sin in our lives, points it out, and our first reaction, rather than camping there, is refusal and denial, and, and we run. And yet David doesn't do that. And that's a lifestyle of repentance. That's the mark of a Christian, that when we sin, we humble ourselves. Our response is repentance, not rebellion. A Christian says, you, you, you got me, brother. You got me, my sister. Thank you for pointing that out. I am a sinner. I want to change. I want to please the Father. And David is not blaming his upbringing or he's not blaming his situation. He says in, in verse 5 that he was born in iniquity, that, that he was conceived in sin. He's not blaming anything else for his sins. He's not calling sins mistakes. He's calling it for what it, for what it is. Sins against a holy and good God. And he's not making excuses. He's not saying, you know, what happened was that I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. No. He's not saying that he fell into temptation like if temptation surprised him and he was the victim. Sometimes we talk about temptation as if temptation was some sort of monster that all of a sudden this thing opened up underneath us and then, and then we fell into temptation. We don't just fall into temptation. We walk right into it. And God always provides escape. But I worry about some of you who say you're a Christian, but when the rubber meets the road, when, when the relationship deepens and that friend starts calling out sin in your life, you run in denial and you try to justify your sin. 
That's not what David does. That's not what a Christian does. Repentance always leads to submission to God first and to others. And David, in the style of John 3.20, he, as painful as it may be, he runs to the light to be exposed, not like the ones in John 3.19 who hate the light and hate coming to the light. If you came after this gathering and you called me out on something that I said wrong during the sermon and you correct me and I get bent out of shape because of your correction, you should ask me to consider not preaching anymore. For if receiving correction is beneath me, then calling myself a Christian is above me. Proud people only hear praise. Christians hear correction. And one of the reasons why we know David takes his sin seriously is because of verse 3. He says, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In other words, I cannot get my sin out of my mind. If you don't care about God, you will not care about your sin. But if you care about God, you live humbled and your sin is ever before you. Humbled enough to close your mouth about other people's sin because you're so overwhelmed with yours first. Remember that a Pharisee is someone that is constantly pointing out everybody else's sin, but a Christian is constantly seeing their own sin. We don't live as Christians with a stone in our hands. We live with a mirror in our hands. Thanking God that we're saved at all. You are going to be thinking about somebody's sin. The question is, whose? (laughs) Your own or somebody else's? Repentance. Another reason we know David took his sin seriously is because he knew he was first and foremost sinning against God and second against others. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The reason that small sins don't exist is because we don't sin against a small God, but a big God. The point here is not, it's not that others don't get hurt because of our sin. Oh, sure they do. We never just hurt ourselves when we sin. But the point here is that what may sin, sin, is that it is against the holy God of holy ways. Sin, by definition, is a transgression against God. It's an offense against God. He is all perfect, all good. We're not. And the closer we are with someone, the more it hurts when we sin against them. Have you, have you noticed that in your life? Say that somebody cut you off on the way here in traffic this morning, and you sin against that person. You take your hand out of your car, and you give them a form of wireless communication that is not the cell phone. <laughs> A, 
and say that I saw you doing that, and I saw you with your little bumper sticker that says Southeastern Theological Baptist Seminary. I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to find you. I'm going to stop you. And I'm going to look at you and say, Dr. Aiken, why did you do that? <laughs> he did it to me this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Now, the reality is that even, even though that was still sin, it doesn't hurt that much because you did it against somebody that you don't know. But what about when you hurt a friend? When you hurt your spouse, your father, your mother? When you hurt those who are close to you, in the words of Pastor Miguel Nunez, betrayal is always and only done by a friend. How much more shouldn't it hurt us when we sin against our maker, against our friend, against our God and our deliverer? It should hurt us deeply. And David doesn't try to minimize his sin. And that, my friend, is a lifestyle of repentance, an attitude of repentance, when you don't minimize your sin a bit. There's healing there because there's no lying. There's no secrecy. All is out in the light so that the Lord may wash away your sins and wipe away your tears. And you don't just need to be sincere. You need to be honest. For you to be honest with yourself and with others and with God requires truth. Being sincere doesn't require truth. You know that. I've been sincere about many dumb things in my life, and I have been sincerely wrong. <laughs> That's the difference between fact versus feeling. You can feel something is right and that you don't have to repent, but you can be sincerely wrong. If you want to heal deeply, repent often, honestly. And perhaps you think, but, but pastor, only God will judge me. That is the latest and catchiest phrase in culture. Only God will judge me. But you're forgetting a key piece on that phrase. He will. He will judge. So repent. But if you want to heal, if you want joy again, verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Number four, repentance doesn't just desire forgiveness, it desires God. Repentance doesn't just desire forgiveness, it desires God. Repentance leads you to wanting more than forgiveness. You want closeness to God, for God is the highest desire, and there is no good apart from him. Forgiveness is awesome, and I don't want to minimize forgiveness. 
But forgiveness says your sentence has been paid. You may go. But the blotting out of sins, expiation says more than you may go. It tells you you may come. This is what David wants. He wants the Lord. He wants the Lord. He doesn't just want forgiveness. He wants God. He wants the Lord over health and prosperity and over influence and over impact. That's why the question is never, where could I have more impact? No, it's not about us. The question is, God, where do you want me? He wants the Lord. Repentance leads you to God. Being forgiven when you know you didn't deserve it leads you to the praise and worship of the one who forgave you. The mark of being forgiven is continuous repentance, a passion to continue to be transformed to the matchless beauty and holiness of Christ. My friends, the end of theology is not knowledge. The end of theology is transformation that worships the work of Jesus in your life. And if you're not fighting to be like Christ, if you don't see his beauty and majesty drawing you to him daily, or if some dream makes your eyes glitter more than God does, I would repent today. My Christ, my Christ is matchless in beauty above all heaven and all earth. Christ is more beautiful than the sum of all of his creation. He is more beautiful than any landscape on Instagram. He is God. And when your sin is better to you than Christ, you desperately need a reality check. You need to see him so that you may see how puny the beauty of your sin is compared to him who leads you to life. You cannot be apathetic about Christ's beauty and Christ's hope and Christ's freedom. In the words of the old Puritan John Flabel, I'll read it to you. He says, just as all rivers meeting the ocean all good things meet in God. Why are your emotions and mind not satisfied by all the things we see here on earth? It's like carrying a large ship to a narrow channel such that it cannot sail there. It will even touch bottom. But give that ship the space of the sea and such will run like the wind. In the same way, everything here, everything that delights you on earth, all the comforts that, comforts that you know and long for, they are all like narrow channels, small drops of pleasure that instead of satisfying you, rather inflame the appetite of your soul. But take your soul to Jesus, cry out to Christ, and in him you will find floods of deep living water in which your soul will have the space of the sea to run freely for the first time. That's what the rest of this chapter is about. David is looking not just for forgiveness, but for God. Listen, David knows that the problem that led him to sin was failing to see 
the beauty of God to begin with. Replacing it with a lesser beauty. And so he pleads in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Your problem is not that you need more jo- a more joyful job. Your problem is not that you need a more joyful neighborhood or city or a more joyful ride or more joyful friends or more joyful weekends. Your problem is that you have lost the joy of the grace of God that saved you. And we need to repent. For it is the very company, the very presence, the very company of God that brings you joy in all situations. No aparte de mí, tu Santo Espíritu. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. We're, we're not... We're not just to be drawn by the Spirit. Of course, we desperately need that. 1 Corinthians 12, no one says, Lord, Lord, unless by the Holy Spirit. But we're not just to be drawn by the Spirit. We exist to be held by the Spirit of God. We're not... human doers. We're human beings. And you cannot walk with God and live a life without repentance. There is no holiness without daily repentance. You cannot skip repentance to get to grace. It doesn't work that way. Repentance is not a door that you walk through once, once you came to Jesus. It is the very room that you live in as a believer. And it's the very Spirit of God that gives you eyes to see what you need to repent about. And gives the body of Christ those eyes to point it out in you as well. And notice that David is not doing what many people do when they sin. The tendency is when you sin to put yourself a penance, a penalty for having sinned. And that only shows pride. Él no se pone un castigo porque él sabe que él no puede pagar ese castigo. You don't need to learn Spanish for real because, you know, I'm struggling up here. But when you put, listen, when you put, it's, it's, it's exactly what the Pharisees did. When you put on yourself a penance, a penalty for having sinned, what you're actually doing is revealing a prideful attitude that believes you can make payment for that sin. You actually think that you can atone for your sin fulfilling the sentence and penance you imposed over yourself. And a lot of times, our service to God becomes a form of personal atonement. And that is the opposite of repentance. Repentance knows you can't do a thing about your debt. And so you trust someone stronger, namely Jesus, to pay it for you because you can't do a thing about it yourself. Only he can forgive sin. The words of 
brother, Paul Tripp, I love how he says this. He says, when you confess sins to God, you don't just admit that you have sinned. No, you also confess that you have no power to deliver yourself from the sin you just confessed. Victory over sin starts when you actually start to believe, that's why it's called faith in Christ, that he has made you free. And that only he could do that. Number five, a repented heart will ask for the heart of God. A repented heart will ask for the heart of God. You know this verse, read it with me, verse 10. Creating me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. In this psalm, we see that only a priest can cleanse the confessing sinner. That's Jesus. Only a judge can blot out your guilty record. That's God. And only a creator can remake your heart. Nobody but God the maker can do that. (laughs) And one of the most exciting things for me about Jesus' return is not the streets of gold. It's not the lack of suffering. That's going to be awesome, of course. But it's the fact that we will finally be able to please him perfectly because we love him. So at the very least, brethren, do not sin of lack of repentance. And by the way, one of the most amazing things also about this psalm is that David he, he has sinned with sexual sins, murder, and lying, and there isn't a single direct word that mentions any of those three things in the psalm. You know why? Because those specific sins are not the cause, but the symptom. The symptom. The cause is pride. And self-worship that leads to a lack of repentance. Every time we have misplaced worship leads to lack of repentance, to rebellion. So your problem is not a huge anger. Your problem is not a big sex drive. Your problem is a big ego and that tiny false god called you. The outward sins are a symptom of the disease, not the disease itself. Every time I meet with somebody over coffee and, and they confess some sin, as grievous as it may be, I, I never just I, just, I just don't gasp anymore for two reasons. Number one, Jesus knew those sins before me, and he still gave his life for that person. And number two, because nine times out of ten, what that person is telling me is not the cause. It's the symptom. The main issue is lack of joy in our salvation. The grace of God restored to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of his grace is enough because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And when the joy of God's grace fades, then we start doing dumb things. 
When the joy of God's grace fades, we start clicking on porn. When the joy of God fades, then we start daydreaming about everything but the mission of God, and we only think of ourselves and our advancement. When the joy of God fades, we start putting our eyes on someone else other than our spouse, and on and on and on. Every sin is a reflection of the absence of the only joy that truly satisfies Christ Jesus. And repentance is fighting the flesh. It's fighting for joy. Don't tell me that your flesh and my flesh are bigger than the Spirit of God. Now you say, well, you know, it's because, you know, in Galatians, it says that the desire of the flesh is against the desire of the Spirit. Yeah, but that's not all it says. It says, so that you may not do what you want to do. He's bigger. He's greater. Yes, we are sinners, but we have been saved. We have been made free. We're saints in Christ alone. So act like it. Repent. Repentance is not just crying. It's changing. Did you know that King Saul cried? In First Samuel 24, 16, there was a lot of crying that King Saul did when David spared his life. And you would think that all that weeping was repentance, but it wasn't. You know why? Because it didn't change. Repentance should be our daily bread. And sometimes we're so worried about displaying a good testimony that we forget to display repentance as well. We're so full of ourselves sometimes that we don't want to confess sin because we care too much about our reputation, about us. So who's king? God or you? And we don't repent because we want to look clean and look good. And, and you want to know why so many kids and teenagers don't know how to humble themselves? Because they have never seen you humble yourself. They have never seen you model repentance. It seems like every week I have to gather my kids and I have to tell them, hey boys, come here. And I gather mom and I gather my kids and I say, hey, you guys heard what Bobby told mom? The way he talked, oh, we didn't hear anything. Yeah, you did. They hear everything. I'm like, I want to let you know that that's not the way you treat your wife. That that's not the way you talk to someone made in the image of God who Christ gave his life for. And I want to tell you, it is not okay, and I am sorry to God. And I've asked God to forgive me, and I ask mom to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me. The end is not for us to look good. The end is for us to point to the one who cleanses all sin. Sister Rosaria Butterfield says, some of you look dangerously clean. Guess what? You're not. You're not. You can fool anybody, but you can't fool God. And the evidence that you belong to Jesus, the evidence that you repented long ago is that you're still repenting today. 
And notice that all throughout the Bible, how God calls his people, his church, to repentance. All of life is repentance. I'm out of time, so let me just say this last point and we pray. Repentance involves us in the mission of God. How come? Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way. That's evangelism right there. (laughs) Teaching is part of the Great Commission. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Glory to God. Beloved, harvest is not the fruit of giftedness, but the fruit of Christ's grace through repentance. Talent doesn't save anybody. Christ does. Repentance says relationship over results. Repentance says God over me. Repentance says others before me. And so usefulness is not the end. God will use you. He created for you for him. You will be used. But the end is relationship with him. To know you. Do you know him? Have you repented? Are you repenting? Especially in Christian circles. Any area you are withholding from God, any, is because of a lack of repentance. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I want to remind you that repentance is confession, contrition, and change. Confession is agreeing with God in your mind, God, you're right, and I am not. Your conclusions, your ways are better, are the way. Contrition shows you, you, shows you care about your sin and you care about hurting God. And you don't want to do that. And change shows you actually love God and follow him. That he leads you, that he's the king of your life and not you. So before we pray, let us consider this. As you talk to the Lord, you reminded that repentance is a bittersweet business. And repentance is not just a conversion exercise. It's the posture of a Christian. The Christian learns how to melt the will into God. That repentance liquefies the will of flesh. It's our daily fruit, our hourly washing, our minute-by-minute wake-up call. Repentance is a reminder of God's creation, Jesus' blood, and the Holy Spirit's comfort. Repentance is the only no-shame solution to a renewed Christian conscience because it proves the obvious, that God was right all along. Repentance feels like death because it is. That you that once was is no longer. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that it will tilt our hearts all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. 
Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.